Well, it's an honor to welcome you again to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday School Hour. This is the lesson for February the 4th of 2024. And uh, the title we have here is Abraham's Blessing is Clarified. And the reason I have blessing in quotes is because we could use several words, uh, covenant or promise or anything like that, but... Uh, in, in the Bible, this is Abraham is a blessing and his family, his descendants, are going to be a blessing to the entire world. And uh, that is a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ would be the Messiah that would come through Abraham and his uh, line of descendants. As we know, uh, that's exactly what happened. And that certainly is a blessing to the entire earth. Now understand that Abraham, or Abram, sorry, had, name had been changed yet. Uh, he is the main character in all of this. But do you think that everybody in the Old Testament, especially when they prophesied or when they heard from the Lord, do you think that they clearly understood everything? Uh, I don't. I think that there were some things that were pretty mysterious to them because they couldn't see the future uh, in the way that we do. You know they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, think about this. We're on this side of the cross and we look back through the eyes of the New Testament. We have the advantage of being able to read the Bible from the back to the front and we can see what the story is, we can see how it all comes together, how the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and what He has done and the doctrines that we need to understand in order to know the gospel and to have a right relationship with God. Abraham didn't have that. If you will think and remember a little bit, Abraham, this, this book Genesis is not being written as Abram's diary this is being written by Moses a long time after Abram lived and it's being written while the Israelites are on their way out of slavery to Egypt to actually living in the promised land. And Moses wanted to clarify for them who their God was that was leading them and he wanted to clarify for them where they came from, how they got here. And so he spends a lot of time talking about Abram. But Abram doesn't know any of the uh, future stuff. He just knows what he has been told. He can't look it up in a Bible. He has to remember it perfectly or else you know, he'll be way off track. Well, it's hard sometimes not to get distracted. It's hard to uh, remember every single thing that you need to know. And so there's some clarification that is needed. Now, I want to just point out, and you can read this in the introduction, the old hymn says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled. You know what that's saying? All you need is your Bible. You don't need any audible voices, you don't need dreams, you don't need any kind of weird experiences or anything like that. God speaks through His Word. And if it lines up with the Bible, great. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, junk it. You don't need it. 
And if you, uh, as somebody said one time, kind of tongue in cheek, but it's true. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear and speak audibly, read it aloud. This is the book. This is the book of books. And Abraham didn't have that. He had no idea what it says in the book of Ephesians or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. He has no idea about that. He couldn't even read a psalm. None of the psalms have been written. In fact, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, as you know, they were written, as we said earlier, by Moses when they're on their way to the promised land. Abraham is out here on his own, living and walking by faith. And so the Lord would appear to him and give him some things that he couldn't check out or look up in the same way that we can. You need to realize just how blessed you are to have the completed revelation, the book of God, the Bible, all 66 books, and you can read it and you can access it anytime you want. Abraham didn't have anything like that, so he needed some help and he needed some clarification. He kind of sort of had it, but he just wasn't really sure and so the Lord comes to him and uh, tells him something that is going to make all of this much more clear. So Abraham is living and walking the best he knows how, but he has questions and he has some doubts and he has some probably some fears and some things that he just wants to understand. So let's look in Genesis 15 and we'll look at the first eight verses for this particular lesson. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house, of my estate, in other words, is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house, one of my servants, is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Now that makes it a little more clear what Abraham was to expect, but it doesn't answer everything, does it? Verse 5. Then God brought Abram outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, meaning Abram, he believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So Abram's just got question after question after question. And at this point, what is really clear is that God is going to do something that Abram doesn't understand. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever read the Word of God and read promises out of the Word where you understood it, 
but you didn't know how it was going to take place. For example, when God says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, and you're looking here and you're looking at your bank balance and you go, I don't see how. I don't see how this is going to take place. I would imagine most everybody who has been saved very long has a story like that. And yet it worked out and God did supply it and God did, get, did take care of it. And uh, Abram is here and he is saying, okay, I, I kind of understand, but there's some things that just don't make sense. There's some missing pieces to the puzzle. And it's going to become more clear to him as we move on in his life. It's called progressive revelation. God tells something here, and he says something here, and then he says more here, and the Bible is like that. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't tell you how until a few verses later. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, how sin entered the world, and in fact, how the curse entered the world too. But there's also a message of hope. The Lord says, when he's talking to the serpent, that you're going to strike the heel of the woman's seed, but he will crush your head. But it doesn't tell us a name. It doesn't tell us a time frame. It doesn't tell us that it's going to be on a cross and there's going to be a death and a burial and a resurrection. You see what I mean? We find that out as we move on through the Word of God. And there are more and more prophecies. Isaiah 53 fills in a whole lot more of that information than Genesis 3.16 does. And so this is happening in Abram's life as well. So let's think about verse 1 and that'll be point 1. Here it is. The Lord reveals Himself clearly. Clearly. Now, Abram doesn't know all of the stuff that's going to happen, but it is clear who is talking to him. Now, we have to be careful about all of this because the Bible says in the book of 1 Peter that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Well, how could it be more sure? Some people say, man, if God would just come to me like he did Abram and just talk to me, then it would be real clear. And some people say, well, I heard this voice, this inner voice, this still, small voice. And uh, by the way, when it mentions that about God and Elijah in the cave, it wasn't an inner voice. It was a still, small voice, but it wasn't inside of Elijah. It was outside. God was speaking to him differently than what Elijah expected. And in this case, too, think about how easy it would be for the devil to trick you or to deceive you. He's a good ventriloquist. What if the devil came and it was actually the devil speaking to you because Paul tells us that the devil and his angels appear as what? Ministers of light, angels of light. They disguise themselves. And so uh, when the old hymn says, what more can he say than to you he has said, what, that's what he's talking about. We can't be deceived or tricked because we have the Bible. The Bible measures everything. Who is it that's speaking to you? Who gave you that dream? Who gave you that feeling and all of that? Test it by the Word of God. It's like our measuring stick. And sometimes you may see somebody who uh, is measuring something in their house and so they uh, 
measure it like this. I'll use this stand. And they measure it and then they go over and they try to... Did you see what happened? My hands just came closer together. They're nowhere near where they were. It's an inexact way of measuring something, isn't it? Well, the Bible is our measuring stick, our yardstick. It tells us the truth and everything has to square up with the Word of God. So, when this vision comes to Abram, God has to identify himself, or this could be anybody. It could be something conjured up in his mind. It could be a demon from hell. It could be any, pardon me, numbers of things here. But the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Notice the first thing. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. Now this reminds us of some things. Nobody ever discovers God. Nobody ever just finds God. God has to reveal himself or we would never know anything about him. And you also notice too that the initial reaction of humans whenever God does this is fear. They're afraid of judgment and that's because of our sin. Now I suspect that when the uh, evil one appears as an angel of light, as we mentioned a while ago, he probably comes with a nice soothing voice, a friendly voice, making himself seem that he is on your side and there's just nothing to even worry about. But it's interesting, whenever God appears, something different happens. Let me just give you some scripture. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and look at this, and I was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he had broken the law of God, he had sinned against God, and God knew it, and Adam knew that God knew, and he was afraid. Think about this, Isaiah 6, 5. What about the great prophet Isaiah? And it says, uh, he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died, Look, look at verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What was his reaction? Give the Lord a high five and sit in his lap and sit and talk about the latest football game or something? No, terrified. You say, well, that was Old Testament. Well, what about Luke chapter 5, verse 8? Jesus comes and he tells the disciples uh, how to catch fish, basically. Remember that? And what's the reaction when they catch fish after these professionals have tried all night? Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't that interesting? Always fear, always fear that comes up because when we're in the presence of God, we see what we really are. 
It's kind of like I saw a commercial one time, I think for Clorox or something, and they showed a white sock that looked perfectly fine until they laid it up against a sock that was perfectly white. Then you saw how dingy the sock that you thought was white really was. And the same thing is true. We think we're good. We think we're acceptable. We think we have got our lives all straightened up and cleaned up until we compare ourselves with a holy God. And then we are terrified because we see just how sinful we really are. Um, when you look at this passage that we're talking about in Genesis, look at what God said about himself. He says, I'm your shield. You don't ever have to worry about anything if God is your shield. That means you are protected. You are protected from the attack of the enemy. You are protected from ambush. You are protected from the unknown. God always walks with you as your shield. That's what he says to Abram. I've got you. I am protecting you. I'm taking care of you. And I am your exceedingly great reward. In other words, Abram, whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is you expect out of life, whatever it is you think is going to happen, let me tell you something. I'm the best thing that has ever happened to you. I am your reward. I am the prize. I am the inheritance. Put whatever word you want in there. You get what he is saying. Now, question. Was Abraham disappointed in that? Because I know a lot of people, if you were talking to them, and they say, well, I need to know what it is that I need to do and, uh, and, and how I'm supposed to live, and you start telling them, well, you've got God, you've got enough. Really? That's all you've got for me? And so you give them some scripture, and they say, really? That's all you've got? Back when I was about uh, in my early 20s, I was walking down the hallway of the church where I was serving and I overheard some uh, ladies and they were talking about something. I don't know what it was, didn't hear that, but I heard one of them say, well, have you talked to the pastor? And the response was, it won't do any good. All he does is give you Bible verses. And I remember thinking, really? That's what you think about the Bible? That's what you think about the Word of God and counsel from God? And sometimes it seems as though when we think about the Bible, when we think about God, if it doesn't involve a new car or a house or a big bank account, we're kind of disappointed. What kind of blessing is this? Eternal life, the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the promises of the Word? Or what good does that do? Kind of disappointing, isn't it? And I think a lot of people feel that way. They don't see God as a shield or as an exceedingly great reward. And maybe Abram didn't either. I don't know what his reaction was. But I would like to ask you, what would you say in regard to that? If it was the kind of thing to where you were told you can have the world or you can have Jesus, would you say, well, I guess I'll probably have to take Jesus. I don't really want to go to hell, but I sure would like some of that stuff. I mean, would we be disappointed in the Lord? And that means there is really something wrong with us. Now, I don't know how Abram felt, but that probably was not really what he was looking for. Number two, the Lord, we learn from this, is patient with our questions. Now, I don't know who the bozo was that told me years ago, well, we must not ever question God, but I find people questioning God all the time in the Bible. And I think the difference is this. If you were questioning God saying, how dare you and who do you think you are? Yeah, that's a problem. 
But if you're saying, God, I want to understand. God, I want to know you better. God, I want to see and understand the scripture and the promises of the word of God so that my faith is stronger in you. I don't think he has any problem with that. Because it says in verse 2, But Abram said, after he's just been told, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Well, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house, my estate, is Eliezer of Damascus. He's not even my kid. He's one of my servants. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house, meaning one of my servants, is my heir. Now, Abram is kind of saying to the Lord, This doesn't make sense. How's this going to work? You promised all of this stuff. You told me you're going to make me great. You said my descendants are going to outnumber anything that I could count. It's going to be much, much bigger and greater and better than anything I could ever imagine. I'm going to have all this land. But what good is it? I don't have a kid. I, I would like to have lots of kids, but I don't even have one. Now, how in the world are my descendants going to occupy this land if you don't give me a child? How does this work? And you know, the Lord didn't rebuke Abram. The Lord didn't um, chide him or anything like that. In fact, I think that uh, even though Abram is kind of saying, uh, thanks for your presence, but I'm going to need a little bit more than that. I need to know how that works. You see, we struggle in that area too. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but sometimes we act as though that's not really what I need. That's not really enough. I need something else to go by. We struggle with that too. And Abram is like us. That ought to make you feel good. And so when Abram does this, he goes to the Lord and he asks him questions. And I would encourage you in those times when you struggle with that, go to the Lord in prayer and go to his word and see what he has said and I bet you will find an answer because uh, the Lord is not interested in us just wandering around in a sea of intellectual uncertainty. He's revealed things to us. Now, we don't know everything, and we're never going to know everything, but we know enough. And His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and yet we're searching everywhere we can besides the Bible but, uh, to find some explanation. In fact... I'm going to even put it this way. I think Abram is, Abram is kind of complaining here. Spurgeon said, Complain to the Lord, you shall, but complain of the Lord, you must not. Well, Abram's not really complaining about the Lord, but he's complaining about his situation. What does he say? I have no heir but Eliezer. This doesn't seem to match up with what you are promising me. As if he's saying, I've been shortchanged, this is never going to work, at least not the way that you said it was going to work. And sometimes we feel the same way. How is this going to happen? How is the Lord going to provide? How is the Lord going to bring beauty out of ashes? How is the Lord going to restore what the swarming locusts have eaten? How is the Lord going to work this all together for good? Have you ever said, like I have, Lord, I don't see any good in this at all. How can you possibly be glorified in this? Don't understand it. Don't always have all the information. 
And sometimes I get answers immediately from the scripture. Other times I have to wait maybe a decade, maybe a couple of decades and look back and go, boy, I'm glad God didn't answer my prayers. And boy, I'm glad things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. God did it and he does all things well. Number three. Now the Lord is the one who clarifies the plan for Abram. And he says in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Eliezer is not the guy. Okay? But one who will come from your own body. He'll have your DNA. He'll have your nose. He'll have your eyes. He'll be a mini you. Is kind of what is being said here. He'll come from your own body and he will be your heir. And then he brought him outside and he said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you were able to number them. And the implication is, I can, can you? And sometimes we want to get snippy with the Lord and we want to complain to him as though we know what's going on and he doesn't. And so God takes Abram out and says, uh, uh, Just start counting the stars. I know exactly how many they are. I know their names. How good are you doing on that, Abram? Must have been very humbling to Abram. And then he says, so shall your descendants be. Now this doesn't answer the question of how. It just says what God is going to do. Doesn't tell him how. Just says that you're going to have a child of your own body. Well, it's not happening now. It doesn't seem to be the case at this particular point. And uh, this just reminds me of something. To claim a promise... Well, you need to understand the promise. And a lot of people are trying to claim promises that they don't understand. They're trying to claim promises that are out of context. They're trying to claim promises that were given to somebody else at some other time and they don't really understand it. And so God clarified it for Abram. Your heir will be your actual child. And then he says, you think I can't do it? Take a look up into the night sky. Count all of the stars. Oh, you can't? Well, I've got them. And I can even name them because I created all of them. In other words, God was saying to Abram, there's a lot you're not going to get. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God, right? They're going to be just things that are past our understanding, past our finding out, things we can't comprehend. But God has it. And when God shows Abram the stars, he is in essence saying, I have the power to put these stars in place, to run the universe, things that you can't even understand and have never and never will see. So I can take care of giving you a child, but you're going to have to trust me and I'll do it in my time and I'll do it in my way. I'm the creator of the universe. And so... Everything seems small now. You don't even have a kid. You're just one man here and you don't even have a child. But I can make this happen and it's going to happen and it is going to be bigger than you can even imagine. Think about Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See? God is saying, this is big. Something big is happening. Really? How big is it? I don't even have one baby. It's big, Abram. 
Just trust me. Just walk with me. I'm going to do this and it's going to blow your mind. This will happen and it won't be just a temporary thing. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. God is going to do something through Abram. It's going to start small, but it's going to end big. And it's going to be something that is not just a flash in the pan, but it Well, We still talk about Jews today and we still talk about Israel today. That was the promise that God made to Abram that Abram couldn't see. Oh, but we can. God is faithful to his word, folks. And number four, the Lord redeems and reassures. And I love that about the Lord. It says in verse 6 about Abram, Abram believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's salvation by faith, salvation by grace. In verse 7, and then he said to him, even though he saved, uh, the Lord says, pardon me, I'm getting ahead of myself. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. In other words, I brought you here. I've kept you safe. Why do you doubt me now? To give you this land to inherit it. Well, Abram's not fully convinced yet. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? You see, we have an imperfect faith and we may look and say, well, I don't have enough faith. I don't have the quality of faith that I ought to have. That is always going to be the case. That's the case for me. That's the case for you. Our faith wavers. Our faith is not always strong. Sometimes we talk about not having enough faith. Well, think about Peter. He walked on water and you say, well, yeah, but he sunk. Yeah, but he also walked on water. And he did that with little faith. I mean, little faith can do some things. And at least he did something. And your faith and my faith is not anywhere near it ought to be. Let's admit that. And our faith is not the perfect quality that it ought to be. We waver in all that we do. But God understands that. And you see, the big thing is not the quality of our faith. It's the quality of what we put our faith in. I can have all kinds of faith that this chair will fly me to Hong Kong. But this chair is not worthy of my faith. Now maybe a 747 is, but this chair is not. And I may get on the 747. Do they even have those anymore? And I may get on there and I may be scared to death. I may be sweating bullets. I may be panicking about all of it. But you know what? When I land in Hong Kong, that's good because my faith was in the airplane. May have been a weak faith. May have been a wavering faith. May have been a fretful faith. But it was faith nonetheless. I got on the plane. I strapped in and I flew and I ended up in Hong Kong. Why? The plane was worthy of my faith. And folks, Jesus is worthy of your faith. Your faith may be small, it may be imperfect, but the idea is not how good your faith is, it's how perfect the object of your faith is, and that is the Lord Jesus. And that's what we find with Abraham. He gets saved, he believes God, and then he questions God. Isn't that funny? He believes God, and it's counted to him for righteousness. He's saved, he's right with God, 
It's by grace through faith, after all, not performance, not anything we do, and yet he questions God. Our imperfect faith is in a perfect God. And God gives us righteousness, not on the strength of our faith or our faithfulness, but it's always by what he has done and what he gives as a free gift. So how do we ever know for sure? Let me just give you some ideas. If you're doubting your salvation or you question any of it, then uh, here's what I would say. We ask. Never be afraid to ask. It's not as though God is going to say, you're asking me if you're truly saved or not. How dare you? And then send you to hell. He doesn't do that. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. We always go back to the word, not feelings, not visions or dreams or anything. Go back to the word. It says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit, Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Ask Him. He'll tell you. Ask Him. He'll make it clear. Read the book of 1 John. It'll make it clear. And understand that God does not want us wandering around in a fog or in the darkness, tripping over everything and stumbling over everything. He's not interested in that. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word, the Bible, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, I would just say this. Don't seek a voice. Go to the book. What book? The book of books, the perfect word of God. That's his revelation to us. And it will give you the direction and the instruction that you need. And if it doesn't, you don't need to know it because the secret things belong to the Lord. And we'll understand it all better by and by, to quote another old hymn. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning in. And may we trust God and believe God like Abram did, so it's counted to us as righteousness. And even though our faith is imperfect, we can trust Him because He is a perfect God. May the Lord bless you and thank you for your time and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week.